Find Romans chapter 1 in your copy of the scripture. Romans chapter 1. We're going to talk this morning on the subject matter, Christmas debts. Christmas debts. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word, please, I'll be in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 8, and we'll go down through verse 17, okay? Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing... I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, That I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, we are so grateful at this time of the year to reflect upon the first advent of the Lord Jesus and what that means for us that the just came to die for the unjust that he might bring us to you father he's opened the way into your presence that we can have life everlasting he's the unspeakable gift as Paul says to the Corinthians The gift of all gifts. And I pray, God, that this Christmas season that we would see people in our families, in our circle of friends, people at church, come to know Christ. That they will experience joy as never before. Lord, use this message today as we think about the gospel and the power of the gospel Use my words. Lord, I am nothing. Hide me behind the cross. May we hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Most Americans express that they will indeed go into debt this Christmas season. When you look at the different generations and their aptitude for going into debt, actually millennials are reporting that they are the most likely age group that will be willing to rack up 
sizable Christmas debt. According to the Peer Financial website, dated from March of this year, North Carolinians carry about $17,100 in credit card debt. Not counting mortgages or automobiles, $17,100 in credit card debt with $1 out of every five going to pay debt. Again, not including housing or cars. As the website went on to suggest, the lessons of the 2008 financial collapse proved to have been short-lived. Folks, while we are indeed a nation of debtors, most, most baby boomers, those set to retire relatively soon, only have about $25,000 in savings to retire on in addition to Social Security. So huge debt with not a lot of savings. It would seem like we don't do very well with our finances. But this morning I want to talk to you about a different kind of debt. A debt in which you and I can be glad of. A debt that you and I can rejoice over. Folks, what is it that we owe the world? As Christians, what kind of obligation do we have to the world? What kind of responsibility? What kind of debt do we owe the world? If Christmas means to us what we say it means, then Christians need to see themselves as debtors. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 1. At Christmas, we celebrate the first advent of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 says, The just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Because of his first advent. You and I can be saved of our sins. We can have peace with God. We can be reconciled with God. We can be redeemed. And if you're in Christ, that's been your experience. But folks, that's not the experience of the most amount of people in the world today. Most people know nothing about this. And that's why Paul spoke of himself as having a debt, having an obligation. And I want you to see that as a Christian this morning, you have a debt. The greatest thing you and I can do for humanity is to live with this sense of debt. We are to take the gospel to the world. And through our Lottie Moon offering this morning, you've helped to do that. These gifts will go to help our foreign missionaries who are on fields all around the world. So thank you for your gift. And you have a part in the Great Commission through giving. But I want you to see this morning in your everyday life, in your relationships, in your interactions with people around you, you and I have a debt. First of all, this morning, I want you to see with me that we are to rejoice over the faith of other Christians. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
Paul is expressing joy over the faith of the Romans. And he mentions here that their faith is something that is known all over the world in churches all around the globe at this time. Now how could that be? Well, I would assume that for one reason, it's because that Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. It was the most powerful city on the face of the earth at the time. And so the fact that the gospel has taken root there in this capital city in the world and there's a church established there, that's no small thing. Imagine the news that that would have made around the world that the gospel had reached Rome. That's something Paul rejoices in. Now there's a couple of points of application here. First, do you and I rejoice over the faith faith of others? I trust that we do. We need to remember that the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one lost sinner who repents and comes to Christ. I can't help but think about the parable of the prodigal son. Now you know what usually when the parable of the prodigal son is preached and there's nothing wrong with this angle that that is taken. We normally focus on the rebellion of that younger son and how he finally wakes up and comes to his senses and he comes back to his father and the father throws a big party. I mean that's a major part of that story. But that's not the reason that that parable was told. You go back to the first verses in Luke chapter 15 and you see what Jesus is saying. He's telling these parables aimed at the religious leaders who are angry at him because he is associating with the so-called riffraff of the world. He's associating with publicans and, and sinners and prostitutes and they're angry at him over that and he tells these stories the parable of the prodigal son about this wayward son who comes home the older brother is angry he's angry that his younger brother has come back he squandered all of his dad's wealth and now his dad has welcomed him back home and even thrown a party and he's mad about that Jesus is wanting the the religious leaders to see themselves in the older brother. The older brother's not rejoicing over the newfound faith of his younger brother. Folks, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice when sinners come to faith in Jesus Christ. What is our attitude to the lost being saved? Do we ever make judgments that are wrong? Do we ever resent the worst of humanity being saved? I hope not. And and I don't think we resent that. I think we genuinely do rejoice over lost people being saved. Amen? Paul rejoices over their faith. A second application, do others ever hear of our faith in Christ? Paul says he's thankful that the Roman church, that the Roman Christians, their faith is being recognized and proclaimed all over the the world. And he's happy about that. Is it our faith in Christ? That's the standout of our lives when people think of us. You know, sometimes we marvel over people's wealth. We marvel over their accomplishments in life. 
Maybe somebody that's a great athlete and what they're able to do. And we stand back and we marvel over that. Would anybody marvel over our Christian faith? Sometimes at funerals that I go to, I'll hear speaker after speaker get up and they'll go on and on and on talking about somebody's life. And which we ought to do that in a eulogy, but we ought to also get around to talking about the Christian hope that we have in the gospel. It's a resurrection hope. But you'll hear at a funeral somebody go on and on and on about somebody's life and nothing is ever mentioned about their Christian faith. In fact, the audience could leave that day and they would have no idea what the person's commitment to Christ ever even was. What's it going to be like for you one day? What's it going to be like for me one day? What will people rejoice over? Will they rejoice over the fact that you were a believer and you made an impact for the sake of the gospel? I pray that that's what I would be remembered for above anything else in life. What a marvelous compliment for anybody to to say about you that they knew that you were a dedicated believer and you'd impacted their lives for Christ and impacted others. That's what Paul's rejoicing over when he thinks about the Romans. Now, notice what he says about this. He wants to come to them and visit them, and he wants to be a blessing to them. He knows that they will likewise be a blessing to him. And he says, I want to impart to you some kind of spiritual gift that's going to help you. Scholars wrestle over what Paul could be talking about here because we know spiritual gifts are imparted to people only through the Holy Spirit. So what's Paul talking about? I happen to agree with one of our Southern Baptist scholars, Thomas Schreiner. He says what Paul is talking about, he wants to visit the Romans and help them to see that the gospel is for the nations. Because back then at this time in the early church, they were, they were so grouped into different segments. And Paul is wanting them to see that in Christ, God is tearing down the walls between different people groups... And he's bringing us together in Jesus Christ to make one people out of us. And that's what he wants to come and share with them. Because he's wanting Rome to become a home base for him as he continues to carry the gospel westward to Spain. He's wanting them to become major supporters for him in that missionary endeavor. And so he wants them to understand the gospel that he's been preaching. He wants them to understand that the good news about Jesus Christ is for all the people of the world. Folks, as we think about Christmas and we think about the Lottie Moon offering that we've just collected this morning, doesn't that apply in a tremendous way? What are we saying? As we collect these gifts, these gifts are going to our missionaries all over the world. All kinds of different people groups. Missionaries are out there on the field. Your missionaries out there on the field. 
Some in places that we're not even supposed to be talking about because they're dangerous places. And so we're not supposed to post anything on Facebook or social media about where some of these missionaries are and where they're serving because we could endanger their lives by doing so. But the point is, what are our missionaries doing? They're carrying the gospel to the world because the good news of Jesus Christ is meant for all nations and all peoples. And Paul wants them to understand that. The gospel's not just for them at Rome, it's not just for the Jew, it's for everybody. And so the gospel needs to go to the nations. Second thing I want you to see this morning, Christians are to live with a sense of indebtedness. Look at verse 14 and 15. Uh, He says there, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. Paul never got over the fact that he was the chief of sinners and God saved him. He went on to say elsewhere that he had worked more than all of the other apostles put together at getting the gospel out. He lived with a sense of debt. He had been forgiven of so much. He wasn't trying to work off his debt in some way. That's not what he's communicating here. It has to do with gratitude. He owes a debt to mankind. He's been graciously given so much by God. He's been forgiven of so much. How could he possibly turn around and keep the gospel to himself? And so he says here he must go. He must tell. He must preach the gospel to the Corinthians. He said, woe is me if I don't preach Jesus Christ. For the apostle Paul to be saved and then not To share the salvation message would have been absolutely unthinkable. How in the world can a Christian who has been forgiven of all of his sins. His name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. And he will never be separated from God. He will never suffer an eternity apart from God. How can a Christian who's had such a glorious salvation bestowed on him, not share in some way. The great preacher Stephen Olford used to say that too many Christians are like Arctic rivers. They're frozen at the mouth. To Paul, that was unthinkable. How can we not share? How can we not go? You know, years ago it was reported that evangelicals, and I have a feeling we're doing worse than this now, it was taking 100 to 150 of us to reach one person for Christ. And that's a shame. In Paul's way of thinking, it ought to be a one-to-one ratio. Everybody reach one. Everybody be sowing the seed. Even though we're not responsible for the harvest, that's what God does. You and I are responsible for sowing the seed. 
I think of that occasion in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus had, had delivered the demoniac, driven all those demons out of him. And that guy wanted, he wanted to follow Jesus and go with Jesus. Wherever Jesus was going, he wanted to be right there with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, sir, that's not what I have for you to do. I want you to go back to your people and tell your people the great things that God has done for you. Folks, we're to tell people the great things that God has done for us. Lord, give us a heart for the harvest. Matthew 9 says that Jesus saw the multitudes coming to him and and they were like people without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will cast out. And the word he uses for cast out is a violent word. That he will cast out workers out into his field. The Lord prays that you and I would be hurled out into the fields of the world that are white unto harvest. There's about 17,000 people groups in the world. Close to 7,000 of them have been reached. Still about 10,000 people groups that have not even been reached. What's a people group? It's, it's, a, it's a group that has affinities within a nation. For, for instance, missiologists tell us that in a nation like Pakistan... There's 400 people groups. One nation, but 400 people groups. There's 17,000 people groups in the world. 7,000 have been reached. Do you know today there are 3,000 people groups that have no exposure to the gospel whatsoever? No Bibles, no churches, no pastors, no missionaries. no No way of knowing unless somebody goes to them. We had a man in our church telling me just a couple of days ago, his daughter is in school right now preparing to be a missionary and she's wanting to go to that 1040 window. The 1040 window stretches across northern Africa and into Asia where most of the people of the world live and, and most of the nations that in that part of the world are dangerous places. Muslim nations that, that don't allow missionaries, don't allow the Bible and she's wanting to go to a place like that. Isn't that great? Somebody right out of this church wanting to do that. That kind of passion. That's living with a sense of obligation. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Living with that kind of obligation. Folks, every single one of us. You know, in Southern Baptist life right now, we have a thing going on called who's your one? Who's the one that you're going to impact this next year for the sake of the gospel? Who's your one in your circles of influence? What can you do? What can I do to build bridges to your one, to my one? Invite them over for coffee. Invite them out for lunch. Establish some kind of relationship with them. That through that relationship you can be telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's how the world is won. Primarily it's one person at a time. Praise God for the crusades. But most people in the world come to faith through somebody. One at a time, somebody's sharing the gospel with them. 
Who's your one? Who reached you? Think about your own salvation and how God engineered circumstances in your life. The right set of circumstances, the right people. How God put all that together and you heard the gospel and you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Even though God's Lord of the harvest, He uses people. He used somebody in your life. He used a preacher. He used a missionary. He used a parent or a grandparent. He used somebody in your life to get the word out. For me, uh, Connie had a, had a New Testament in my glove compartment. And I got to college and I opened that up one day. And I started just reading the word of God. And God used His word to bring me to Himself. The point is, God uses people. It's His gospel. It's His word. He gives salvation through somebody coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But He uses me and you to spread that word. So when you think about who all reached you, In turn, we need to think, okay, now, who am I going to reach? Am I going to live with a sense of indebtedness? Third thing I want you to see this morning, Christians are to be confident in the power of the gospel. Paul says in verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Put simply, Paul's reasoning for his sense of indebtedness was the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. What's the gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel is God's good news. Remember the angels in Luke chapter 2 when they came to the shepherds and they announced the birth of Jesus? They said, today for you in the city of David has been born a Savior, Christ the Lord. The gospel is good news. And it's powerful. And that's why Paul said he was living with this sense of indebtedness to get the gospel out because he knew that as he preached the gospel, what God was going to do through that preaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. Folks, don't get me wrong. If God determined to, God, God could save you through you watching an episode of Jeopardy. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? If God, if God deter, however God determined to save you, God could do it. God is sovereign God. But how is it that He reaches people? It's through His Word. Through His Word. God saves you by the gospel. Again, either somebody sharing it with you, somebody preaching it to you, some, you reading it on your own. 
The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He convicts you of your sin and He helps you to see your need of Christ and He draws you to Christ. The spiritual birth, is, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, it's something from above that only God does. Again, His Spirit takes His Word and He brings about the new birth in you. And Paul says, that's why I'm so eager to come to Rome and preach the gospel there. I'm not ashamed. I'm eager. Others might be ashamed. Others may cower and withdraw. Paul says, not me. Usually when a Christian doesn't share, it's because in some way they're afraid. They're ashamed. What are other people going to think about me? What if they don't listen? What if somebody mocks me? What if they reject me? Hey, it doesn't matter. Unless you're living for the applause of men, and if you're living for the applause of men, you've got a whole other set of problems. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Because he knew through his preaching, God would bring a harvest. Look at what he says here in, in verse 13. In verse 13, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. Folks, we should have a confidence that as God's word is shared, it will not return to him void. I am so glad that my confidence is not in myself and what I can do. Aren't you glad of that? If it was in how polished you are or how good you could do it in some way, I mean, you would live with that fear all the time. But folks, our confidence is not in the flesh. It's in God. What God is able to do. What's Paul say again? The gospel is the power of God. You see, as some people get up and preach the cross, as people do, some look at that, they think, you know, that just seems kind of odd. Somebody getting up and preaching and an audience of folks listening or what, you know, what's happening there? And as Paul said to the Corinthians, the Greeks view that off, the Greeks at the time, they were the educated bunch in the world. They looked at it as foolishness and the Jews looked at it as a stumbling block. But Paul said to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. God is at work in His Word when His Word is shared. And again, that's where Paul's confidence was. Paul said he had an obligation to everybody to preach. And it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Why the Jew first? It's because of an issue of chronology. Paul would, Paul would go to the synagogues first because the Jews had that rich history, that rich Old Testament history, and, and they were to naturally see that Jesus, the Messiah, is the fulfillment of all of that. So he naturally would go to them first. He, he's not saying it's more important to, to reach them than anybody else and let everybody else in the world go to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying to the Jew first because 
the promises of God were given to them in the Old Testament. The promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. And so he would go to them first. And then it's also the power of God to Gentiles. Again, to everybody. If man wrote the gospel, what would it look like? Man's gospel would be try a little bit harder, do a little bit more. Work a little harder than you're working. But what's God's gospel? You're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul says here in the gospel, the righteousness of God is shown. Scholars think of that righteousness of God in two two senses. First of all, the forensic, the judicial, being justified in the courtroom sense. We're guilty and in Christ, God pronounces us forgiven and clean. And then the transformative sense, those who have been pronounced Uh, forgiven and they've come to Christ and had all their sins washed away, then the transformative power of the gospel is seen in their everyday life as they continue to live according to God's righteousness. And it's through faith. It's a matter of faith, Paul says here, from beginning to end. Paul says elsewhere, if you try to mix grace and works, you destroy grace. Same thing with with faith. Sanctification and salvation are both a matter of grace through faith. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Now folks, as we close this morning, think again about how this text ties in with this time of the year. The first advent of Christ communicates for us why Christ came. And what a shame that millions of people will celebrate Christmas this year and they will miss the gospel. They will not see the true meaning of Christmas. You know, you could celebrate the gospel without having a holiday called Christmas. But when you really understand the true meaning of Christmas, you can't have Christmas without the gospel. And yet millions will miss that altogether. They will miss what the holiday is supposed to be about. But let's not you and me miss it. Let's celebrate the gospel and how God saves sinners. And let's remember that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. And let's commit anew and afresh to sharing the gospel. And as you share it, you're going to see what only God can do. Is everybody going to listen to you? Is everybody going to listen to me? No. In fact... I dare say in the world today, most people won't, but some will. And those who listen and God works in their heart, God's going to bring about a transformation in them. And it's a miracle that only God can do. It's the greatest miracle of all. We need to live with a sense of obligation, a sense of debt. 
indebtedness to the world. The world needs to hear. And so those who have heard, those who have been changed by God's grace, we have an obligation to go and tell the world that they too might believe. This morning I want you to think about your one. Think about your circles of influence in your one. Will you begin praying for that person that God would engineer circumstances in their lives in such a way that they would be saved? That they would see their need, that they would see their sin and understand that their sin is against a holy God. And if they die in that condition, there's no hope for them whatsoever. Pray that they would see that. And then pray for yourself that you'll have the opportunities to go and and share the gospel with that person. And that God would use that gospel witness to transform their lives. Every single one of us living with that sense of indebtedness. That sense of obligation. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the people that you used in our lives, the circumstances that you used in our lives that brought us to Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not forget that, that we would not get over that, that we would live with a continuing sense of gratitude in our hearts. Somebody took the time, somebody made the effort, somebody paid the cost so that we could hear. And Lord, help us to live as those who would say, okay, now it's my turn to go to the world. Even as Paul, the chief of sinners, was forgiven. And and he said, because of that, now I'm eager to go and preach the gospel to you. God, may there be that eagerness in us. Lord, every one of us have people that we know that are lost. Everyone. We know people who need Christ. God, save them. God, save them and use me and use these folks that are patiently listening this morning. Use us that people might be reached for Jesus. Help us to be faithful at sowing the seed, knowing that it's not going to return to you void. In Christ's name we pray.